and welcome to the Evoke Greatness podcast. My name is Sunny, and I have an insatiable hunger for growth and knowledge. I am a huge book nerd and a wee bit of a control enthusiast with an obsession for motivational coffee cups. I have traveled what feels like a thousand journeys from the start of my career as a CNA, slowly making my way through nursing school, to presently being the COO of a national hospice company. I have learned valuable lessons along the way that have forged me into the woman and leader that I am today. And I'm hopeful that others can utilize my lessons and the lessons of my guests to help pave their own way. I am calling my crazy big shot as I build this podcast and a lifestyle brand that will be in service of others. I believe that a rising tide raises all ships, and I invite you along in this journey to evoke greatness. Welcome back to another episode of Evoke Greatness. My guest today is an absolute pioneer in the home care and hospice industry. She is a force to be reckoned with when it comes to the advancement of women in leadership, and I am incredibly excited to welcome Marcel Combs to the podcast today. Welcome, Marcel. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Sonny, and I'm so honored to be here. And I think when you say pioneer, that means I'm really old, uh, so I can I can go back to the beginning of time. It means that you have worked some incredible magic and some incredible advancement that everybody benefits from today. And it's interesting. I have been asking people, who do you want to hear from on this podcast? And your name came up countless times. That is so sweet. Um, It's really so sweet. So, you know, I have five children and I think sometimes none of them want to hear anything I have to say. So I'm really happy that someone wants to hear what I have to say. I think think there's a lot of someones who want to hear what you have to say. So, uh, you know, I had the pleasure of meeting you a couple of years ago. There's a mutual friend that we have who asked me, you've got to know Marcel Combs. And I said, no, I don't. He said, I'm almost shocked because she's such a presence in this industry. And he said, you guys remind me so much of each other. And I want to make sure that I, that I uh, introduce you. And so we fortunately were introduced to each other at a dinner and it's been an absolute delight just to kind of sit back and, and get to know you. And then you've had this podcast being able to interview some incredible guests share some incredible stories. And so I love that you uh, gave me the opportunity to do the flip side and really be able to interview you and share your story. Right. And Sunny, it's been a pleasure to kind of follow you on uh, Instagram. Even from afar these days, we can keep up with each other. And I am always entertained and also just inspired with by what you have to say. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I would love to know what your story has been as you have come through. You have owned multiple businesses. You've been incredibly successful. You've had a strong presence in your state. You have an incredible network of people around you. And I'd love to share your story of just really how you came through being able to do all that. And and where'd you find the strength and courage? You know, I think I've just had a lifetime of being a little tired all the time. <laughs> so it might be, I always say, if if you work outside the home and you have a bunch of kids and you have a business and then you get in this crazy insanity, just get used to kind of being exhausted most of the time. <laughs> That is very true. (laughs) So, you know, and then it becomes somewhat of a state. You know, I, 
when some people ask me my story, um, the people who have known me and I have had the great pleasure, as, as you well know, where we work in home care and hospice has a lot of women because it's very nursing focused. And so because of that, you know, we also know that most of nurses still a great percentage are women. So I, I guess I fell into that and I come from a clinical background. I'm a registered nurse. I chose the bachelor route when I got, uh, when I went through school, just, you know, I'm not one of those kids who sat around and thought someday I'm going to have this business and I'm going to do these things. You know, if you're that person, I, I just applaud you. But for me, it was more of the picture of what I thought my life would be turned out very different. And I will say that because of that, I've had an incredible fun journey. My clinical background was just in labor and delivery, and I taught prenatal classes and did a lot of that before there were even certifications. And I I said I just kept getting pregnant. So I thought I got to get away from this field. I swore I would never work with the elderly because of my heart. I felt that I, I would be so taken up in that because I was very close to my grandfather. I thought that that would just never be the end of the whole spectrum of healthcare that I would work in. But I, um, my husband, uh, is he would say he's educated beyond his abilities. And he was doing graduate work out in a West Texas town called Lubbock, Texas, uh, home of Texas Tech, where he did get his PhD from. And we, through a series of events, I got pregnant for the fourth time in six years. <laughs> and, you know, and he his job kind of disappeared and I needed a job. So I, I, I heard about this home health thing and you could work part time and it could be very flexible and so I just went to work as a part-time nurse in home care, and I really fell in love with it, fell in love with just taking care of the patients, the teaching aspects. And sometimes when I read some of the stuff I wrote oh, 25 years ago, I am reminded of why I did what I did. I also had a, an opportunity to just defend a case, which a lot of people do with the ALJ, uh, to talk about some mm-hmm. rural care patients. And I was just reminded as I look through those charts, what an important work we do. And so right. that that is the reason why I started the, the agency I was working for, which really I had fallen into the director job. I, I took a director job because Really, I didn't really like the other candidate who was going to be my boss. And I thought, I know this is a terrible, I, I, I want to say, this is not the path I would tell any of you to take, but it was my journey. And so I was totally unqualified and only through a mentor of mine who was in, doing rural home health, who was working at the branch office, I would have never made it because she said to me, Marcel, you can do this. This is called an ICD-9 code book. <laughs> big, fat book. Yes. Before yes. the electronic version. Anyway, I, I went to work at this job and, and really only through this woman's mentoring did I 
stay because I wasn't a really good manager uh, and I wasn't, I didn't really know anything. It's this pre-Oasis on the home care side. It was many years before I did hospice and I know that's been so much of your love, but the the agency was going to sell the agency. I didn't have any money. I had four little kids. They were two, four, six, and eight, all boys at that time. Wow. Um, and so I, I would go on much later to to adopt a little girl. You know, I I just I just went to the owner and I said, sell it to me because I had done some growth. I had gotten into this and I thought this is the, it was the challenge of what I was doing that inspired me. And and the guy that owned it was about my age. He was a pharmacist and he didn't have a great love, what you would call for the mission of home care. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I decided in those early days that I I would do two things. And I, I would say I'm a woman of faith. And I just decided that that every part of my mission or what I would do in my life would be focused on patients and family and then the people who work there. So those were the three the three things that I could do. And I really begged him uh, to sell to me, truly. I had no money. Uh, and he financed the deal. It was, it was during the days of cost reimbursement, which meant you mm-hmm. couldn't really make a profit. Agencies were not, you know, they were undervalued for what they really were because the business community wasn't interested. And only a crazy woman who, <laughs> who just wanted to do this thing, just wanted to do this thing. So it was through a series of events, I sold that business in a couple of years, started the business called Foundation Management Service that I would have for the next 25 years and managed a big hospital system um, with infusion. That's where I got into hospice uh, because the community hospice was struggling and this, you know, they needed us to do it. So I managed that. So for about 10 years I did that and then went back in as a direct provider, which you probably, that's where I was when you met me. But I learned accounting through the accountants who worked for me because I'm a clinical person. I, I learned it through the accountants who worked for me. And I, I always tell the accountants who knew cost reimbursement, what should really scare you about me is I learned accounting during cost reimbursement <laughs> <laughs> and that is an interesting, most people don't work with that anymore. We have very, very little of that in our country. Uh, and I also th- learned it through just asking a million questions and I guess having more guts than brains because I I need for me, and I always tell people this, if you're going into a room of people, you need to you need to know who your audience is and you know need to know the facts more than they did. So I just... I bought a book called Accounting for Dummies. Uh, it's a great, the dummy books are great books. 100% agree. I have many on my bookshelf. <laughs> they are, we were going to do a nonprofit a few years back, about 12 or 13 years ago. And I, the problem is when I met with the attorney, and, and I was very well versed in business by this time, but I she asked us all kinds of questions. And the problem was, I didn't even understand the question. So really, I went out and bought prior to Amazon days where I would just order it and ship it to me. But I bought the book, Starting Nonprofit for Dummies. That's a great book. (laughs) 
too. Then I at least knew the answer, you know, what she was asking me when she asked me the questions. You know, I just, I, it, and then I grew a business and sold that about three years ago, thinking that I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. But I knew that what's important for women, if we think about our last third of life is not to just sit around and and not take all the things that we've had, but to try to take those and give back. So I really had started a couple other business after I had sold that and I do some real estate. And then I went back in to doing some consulting. So it's, I miss, I, I would say doing a Medicare reimbursement game is a, a really difficult job. And and I thank you for that, Sonny. It's a difficult job. And for the people who are doing that, I miss that. I went back in two years ago to do consulting. So I get just a little taste of that. But my real heart is to try to help women leaders. And I would say any leaders in general, in particular, female leaders, because for me, it was, you know, the, all those little boys were hungry and they needed to eat. And so that's why I launched off. And yet there's been a lot of struggles, you know, along the way. And I, I want to encourage anyone do more than people think you can do. 100%. I love what you said about more guts than brains, because sometimes that's what we have to have. Otherwise, you'll stay in a place where you're too scared. You won't ever have the guts to do it. And so sometimes we just need to blast through that and, and, and have more guts than brains. So I love that you said that. You mentioned your faith, and I know that that is big with you. I know that anyone who knows you knows that. So how does your faith factor into what you do and how you do it? Do you know, for me, it's, I, I don't know how people do the things without a moral compass. And I, I look at our world and it's one thing that I, I think is a God-given gift for me. I have the ability to love people. Um, I love all kinds of people. And, and what I have found is that some people are a little harder to love than others, let's say that. Uh, but I, True. you know, I think sometimes when people talk about people of faith, at least these days with so much of that politicized, is that we forget that God first loved us. And so to me, that's what we need to do first. We can disagree with someone. We can dis- we can say, I disagree with you and still be friends. But my faith, sure. I think, gives me, one is, I always say when I begin to not like anyone, that I really need to go back and have some prayer and meditation. Because, you know, there, there's probably something wrong with me. So uh, when I, I was about there about two weeks ago and I was thinking to myself, I need to pull back here a moment and, and take some time. So for me, faith and, and really what the Bible has to say about so many things uh, leads me. It, it helps me. It helps me remember who I am and why we're here. We're here for such a short period of time on this earth. Um, and we only have so many days to, to have an impact on other people. What or who, um, because nowadays it is really more about picking up books and listening to podcasts and videos. Uh, it hasn't always been that way. Some people have had incredible mentors along their path that have been uh, people that have been placed in their life at the right time for the right reason. And I know I have been blessed with some incredible mentors who I didn't know why they were there at the time. And they laid these pavers in front of me that allowed me to explore opportunities 
probably most that I was not equipped for at the time, but their presence and their mentorship and their guidance and leadership really helped me along the way. And so who or what has has been an influence for you throughout your career in life? Oh, goodness. You know, I, I was talking to a teacher just the other day and, and she had taught, she's retired now doing a totally different business uh, for many, many years. And I, I was telling her, I'm sure that you had a, such an impact on those kids. I think we forget to encourage them. There was a teacher in high school who, who my senior year, I didn't come from college educated parents. No one in my immediate family had gone to college or graduated. And she just said to me one day, one hall meeting, Marcel, I believe you can do anything you want. If you want to go to college, I paid for loan wise part of my schooling. And that was one conversation on one day. You you forget just those passing moments, what you have to say. And I had for many years, I had so many opportunities to speak to nursing students and to nurses in general and say, we've got to talk positive about the profession because so many don't. So for me, I mentioned early the nurse who, when I first took the director job and I didn't know what a coding book was. And we, you know, coding didn't really impact our reimbursement at that time. You know, this was the late 80s, early 90s. And she, she was a woman who didn't, who only went to school through fifth grade. She later in life, after she had four girls, got her LVN, then her RN, um, and she got her bachelor's degree. She just encouraged me daily uh, from from the perspective of this is what you would do with this patient. The other person, the, the guy that I begged to sell me the business, he was a positive influence, but also an irritant. He would always ask me some question I wouldn't know the answer to. So my goal when he was my boss, before I bought the business, my goal was to try to have all the answers to whatever questions mm-hmm. he could dream up when he when I had the meeting with him every week. And that's not what you would call your exact mentorship uh, program, but he was the first person who said to me, Marcel, what what do you want financially? And you know, and I'm coming from a clinical background. I said, Oh, I would I would love to make a hundred thousand dollars a year, which you know, this is the nineties. So this is a lot of money. And he he just looked at me, which I if I had said that in most of my circles, they would have laughed. And I was probably making maybe thirty thousand a year. <laughs> so that was shooting for the moon. I was just shooting for the moon. And he said you know, Marcel, it's not near enough. And I thought, oh, well, I guess that means that that's really possible. And so for so many years, in fact, we're still friends now. I don't see him often now. Um, He's had gone on to have many different kinds of businesses, you know, just that irritation and inspiration and this ability for someone to say something like that to you that not only says reach this goal, hit this goal, oh, your your goal isn't high enough. That's not strong enough. That's not far enough. So those were, you know, when I think about that, I also, uh, when I had, I had a contract for 10 years with a hospital system and there was an attorney there who I actually heard from this last week. He's older than me. He's retired. He was probably the best manager I had ever known. The most humble man. You don't meet that. So forgive me, hospital administrators, if you hear this. 
but I knew a lot of hospital administrators that were yeah. so willing to give everyone else credit, so willing to work the plan behind. And, and so if I think just off the top of my head, those are, you know, my most inspiring. I, I will say from a personal faith perspective, I have a really good friend who would always kind of bring me back to center if I got too full of myself. And uh, she always reminded me of the things that are important instead of the business world and you're trying to drive and defeat and you know, I'm very, I would say competitive. And I think we have too much of this. You can achieve greatness or great goals and, and great accomplishments, not on the backs of people, but holding hands with people while you move forward and help them achieve the things that they want to achieve, perhaps that they didn't even think they could achieve themselves either. Well, and, and going back to that kind of that hospital administrator type that you wouldn't think that you would get that from. Sometimes those are the most impactful, just snippets of leadership bright moments and examples where you least expect to find it. And yet someone gives you this powerful, beautiful, small example as to what that looks like. I don't think they even realize the impact that it has. Oh, I, he's a wonderful guy. Went on to be um, the vice president of a bank um, that, uh, I mean, a, a bank you would very well know that expanded across the U.S. I mean, such a brilliant man, but really the most humble person you'll meet. How do you balance all the demands of work and life? You talked about coming up into your career and really kind of finding your way, also having four small children. Lord knows that's not all of it, right? There's also, there's the work, there's the exploration of doing something that you may not know. There's your marriage, there's your faith. How do you balance all of that without feeling like you're heavy one side or the other? Do you know, I, I hate the word balance. Um, it is an unattainable goal. And you know, I, I look at these young women trying to do this thing and I think, oh, that just makes me tired thinking about it. I have been married to the with the grace of God to the same man for over 40 years. And which is also, I, I would say, one of my great encouragers has been him and from from the whole life I couldn't have done what I did without having the support of him and now I have a lot of children um, so I, I did have these four young kids I like to refer to balance as more of a life of averages um, and and average gets underrated sometimes because the truth is, Sometimes work has to win and sometimes home has to win. Probably one of the greatest compliments um, one, my second son said to me was, you know, mom, you aren't always there for every single practice and everything there, but you were always there for the important things. And I for me, for to have a grown son, I, I can say they, they're all really good human beings. They are all very different. They all graduated from college. Uh, Lord knows I paid all that for a lot of years. Um, but and it is what they say, you know, once they finish, you do get a raise. I think the important things is that you have to live an intentional life. You have to intentionally 
get where you need to go. And I would say I broke my things down to I did work and I did family and faith. And I wasn't on a lot of boards in their young years. I I didn't do a lot of personal time. I didn't, but I traveled with work, you see. So mm-hmm. for me to take off and do that would have been impossible. But I, I remember I live uh, in the Dallas Metroplex. And so there's a lot of traffic. And so I remember flying in, getting to DFW, getting in the car, driving and changing out of my suit. <laughs> this is, I would not recommend this. This is not my advice. Uh, I keep saying this, right? You were hoping I would have some advice. And what I have is I got all this ran to the football field where where my senior son the moms were walking across the field with them and I who knows what I was doing whatever I was doing it it was something I couldn't really miss far far away I don't even remember where it was now and I walked across the field with him and I then I left got back in the car went back to the airport got back on the plane and went back and it's those kinds of things you have to really you have to say what are the intentional things and how do I do alone time with each child how do I make sure that I take lunch to them and I spend time with them or I I learned I will watch any movie known to man because my youngest two Two sons love all kinds of movies. My youngest son is a graphic designer. And I will watch the bloody, the stabbing, the all the Marvel movies. I'll watch all of that. And really, it wasn't because I was in love with that. It was because it was something that they loved to do that I could say, let's sit down and watch a movie. On Sunday nights with my youngest son, I would sit down, watch the movie, and I would have my paperwork all over the couch. And I would sit and watch the movie with him while I did my paperwork. It is, you know, and Craig and I, of course, tried to do at least, I mean, when the kids were all young, but the truth is we didn't really have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there wasn't flying off to Mexico for the weekend. There's eight years between my youngest son and my daughter, and we didn't get her until she was four. So there's 12 years, really. So with Ivy, it was much easier with one child to have more one-on-one time and much easier financially for Craig and I, which you you make a whole new set of mistakes. <laughs> you, oh, mistakes. you just have a whole new set that you make. I, I think people, that if I have anything to say is get your calendar out and make sure you are intentional. When you don't have to be at the work thing and there is an important kid thing, be at the kid thing. When it's you don't have to be at practice on Tuesday nights, and but you need to be at work, be at work. That is you can nail it all down, but that's what it comes down to. I love the reality though of what you shared because that's not what you're seeing as people present their life and the lens of their life, right? So much is based on social media nowadays. People show you what they want you to see. Right. And you don't see moms running through, working moms, traveling moms running through, you know, tearing out of clothes. Frankly, I'm very glad to hear you say that because I'm not the one person in the world who's done that while trying not to, you know, be seen by people around you. And you're, you know, and you're tearing something off and putting something on and darting to go do what needs to be done because it's that important. And so I appreciate the reality of that because the truth is there are a lot of things tugging for our time and our Mm -hmm. attention. 
And we really do have to be intentional of those things. What is what is the most important at the time? And that may look like having to, you know, for lifestyles like ours, hop on a plane, dart to a game, and then hop back on a plane and, and go yeah. somewhere else. And, yeah. uh, and there's beauty in the reality of that, in the realness of that. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing that. I, I'm curious, uh, something that's been being talked about is imposter syndrome. You hear it way more with women than you do men. And I know most of my life, that was something that I struggled with, was not feeling like I was equipped for whatever was standing in front of me, not feeling like I would have all the right answers. And I felt like I had to have the right answers. God forbid I not be able to answer a question or not have the right answer. And so for a lot of years, I showed up in a way that uh, was probably more out of fear than anything else. I remember the very first leadership job I had, I was sitting around a table with my peers thinking someone is going to stand up and say, she has no idea what she's doing here. I mean, I was just sure. I was sure that I was busted and someone was going to call me out. And I think it's probably only been the last five or six years of really trying to take my journey through leadership and growth and really understand the great lessons that I've been given the opportunity to have, the mistakes that I've had the opportunity of you know, falling down over, and then reframing that to put it in a place of lessons that I can share with other people and tell people that it's you're not the only one feeling that way sitting around the table. I promise you there are, there are many people who are and you have this presence about you that is so grounded and it's not this boisterous confidence, it's this soft confidence and sense of groundedness about you that just emanates from you when people are around you. And so I'm curious if that's ever been anything that you have struggled with. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so I, I did learn, and I say this a lot long ago, that every thought in my head didn't have to come tumbling out my mouth. And um, <laughs> so if you hear a quiet presence, it is a learned behavior, um, not to just say everything. A friend of mine one time said to me, you know, Marcel, because I was going into some meeting that I'm sure I was not qualified to go into. And she was like, the only thing I can say is that sometimes when you get nervous, you just talk and talk and talk. So try not to talk so much. <laughs> okay. You know, I try to tell people, well, let me back up. In nursing school, one of the lessons they taught us was when you walk in a patient's room, Act like you know what you're doing, even if you don't, because you're going to bring confidence to those around you. And one of the mentors I said that was the administrator of the hospital, when you're a leader and you get into key positions, it is pretty lonely because you don't have you don't have a group of people that you can easily let down your hair or say, I feel insecure without worrying that they're going to think less of you. And so a leader doesn't really get a day off. Um, and it, it is hard to find safe groups. Certainly that is not on social media. I, I see what people put out there and I think seriously. <laughs> It's not a good place to be sharing all yeah. that has, you know, happened to you. I think two things. I think that if we aren't, a sign of you not growing is that you always feel very comfortable in what setting, that you never have that imposter feeling that you shouldn't be there. If we're going to grow, and I hope 
that the last day I learned something is my last breath on this life, on this mm-hmm. earth. That's what I hope. But that also puts you in a constant state of uh, uncomfortableness. But I think you have to, that, and that's where faith does come in with me. I know deep within me that I have a faith in that that is the most secure thing in my life. I have had the blessing of having a husband who loved me. Heaven only knows it's not been an easy task. When I first, I said two years ago, I went back on the consulting side of business. And when you're at, when you're at a large, which, you know, compared to some of the billion dollars organizations these days, it wasn't that large, but it was many million dollars business. You know a little bit about everything. Not everything, but most, lots of things. You know a little bit about lots of things. When you go back into a small business, you have to know a whole lot about a few things. (laughs) And so I found myself now all of a sudden, two years ago, in a consulting world where I thought, oh my word, I know the icing of this, but I don't know the cake. So I put myself in situations where I was in uncomfortable. And and I, I think that people need to take a deep breath when they feel uncomfortable. One, have they done their homework? Have they read what they can read? Have they asked the people? And I will say some people aren't worthy of your confidence. And so I have been told that I I hold my cards close to my vest, but I I will say you have to be careful and you have to know where the right place is to let down your guard. And that becomes fewer and fewer, Sonny, with people in your position, your circle of confidence needs to be very tight because you can be hurt in that. But you have to take a deep breath and say, I am worthy to be here and I might not know everything, but I know some things. So, right. you know, it, it's, I don't know if that really answers your question, but. Um, yeah, I, it absolutely does. I, I would say there's, if you could get anyone to be honest, most, most of the leaders that are sitting around that table have some area of insecurity that they are feeling as they are there, or they just need to be right. challenging themselves yeah, I brought all of our team in this week and was talking with one of the folks on my team and and sharing with her, we were talking about ego and how ego just, gosh, I said, there have been days of gnashing of teeth in my years of lessons with, with that battle with ego. And it gets to a point where you have to just have a really healthy sense of awareness mm-hmm. around it. And I said, I used to be dumb enough to want to be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> that used to be my goal. I wanted to I wanted to know it all. I wanted to impress people. I, you know, it was so silly. And today I'm smart enough to want to be surrounded by people who are way smarter than me. Yeah. And I think that is really, that's that place of uncomfortability. Yeah. That's so good. There, there are so many things on this earth that we're never going to know. I'm building a house for, for someone who likes to leave the train and, and have some control of what's going on. Let me just say, just build a house right now. And in 2021, you have no control. I mean, they show up, right. they want to show up. They, it doesn't matter what you pay them. It, it is an exercise. But but more than that, when I see the, the expertise of how they how they put the electrical in a home, it, it's remarkable. There are things I'm never I'm never going to know. Yeah. 
What advice would you give to your younger self? I think the biggest thing, and you mentioned this a little bit, is to know no matter how bad it gets, that there's going to be another day. That sometimes I, and for the people who really know me, and since you ask about my faith, I will I will tell you this. Many times I, I tell people when things are so difficult that they just need to hold God's hand and walk forward because there's no easy way to get through it. I think you might know in the first four months, I guess five months of 2021, uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I had a mastectomy. I had two follow-up surgeries from that that were complications. My dad died two weeks before I had the mastectomy. He was 88 and lived on his own and was your typical ornery patient that we were right on the verge of taking away his keys. And I really didn't want to do that. He did not die of COVID. Um, he was probably too ornery to get COVID because he was just, he was a mess. You know, you, you don't live that long and be that independent. So, uh, and then we buried my, my father-in-law who was 90 in, um, well, I guess the first first of June. So it, I wouldn't been able to live through that had I not lived through so many trials before then, knowing Mm -hmm. that this is a temporary situation. I remember times, you know, when state surveyors would walk in and I would be up till one or two and I I would have the whole office there. Now, everything's party with me. So if we had a whole office, we had food and we had popcorn and we... (laughs) Yeah, we it would it would be the thing because you you wanted to for people to know that you were good. It wasn't that we were good every day. It was on that day was your judgment day that that yes, you need to take it seriously, but two, you have to know that you will get through it. You you back up, you make a new plan, you gather your team together, you you get all the thoughts and you walk forward. That's probably if I think about where I am today, that's that's what I would say to people. Yes, you. if things are bad, you need a new plan. I'm a girl. If I have a plan, I can do almost anything. But I do know, too, you can't control everything. And it's, right. it's a thankless task. You can do your homework. You can set forth your plan. You can get your team together. You can inspire them. But when the day is done, things are going to go wrong. That can do so much for someone. I think nowadays there's a lot on our plates outside of just that normal balance that we're trying to achieve or those, the, all those, you know, 10, 20 plates that we're trying to keep spinning in the air with a national pandemic and just the weightiness, the emotional, psychological, spiritual weightiness of all of that. Your advice would speak volumes to others. So I appreciate that. I just want to acknowledge you, Marcel. You're an incredible woman. You're an incredible human. You are uh, an incredible example of someone walking so strongly in faith. And I'm not sure that you even know the impact that you're having on the world. So I appreciate your time and being able to share your story and some advice uh, for everybody out there listening. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sunny. And thank you for what you're doing. As again, as I said earlier, I just want to thank the people who are just doing the little things for people every day and encouraging them. So it's such an honor to be on this and I really appreciate it.
Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope that you'll stick around. If you liked the podcast, please hit the subscribe button, share the episode, or even leave a review. And in the sage words of Olympic champion Wilma Rudolph, never underestimate the power of dreams and the influence of the human spirit. We are all the same in this notion. The potential for greatness lives within each of us. Thank you.